Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. So John chapter 6, we're going to end that chapter today. We've been working through the book of John. In the last few weeks, we've been really parked on John chapter 6. It's a long chapter. And I'll just give you a little bit of review before we jump into the last little bit of text that we're going to go through today and hear Jesus say some extremely powerful things. Um, In John chapter 6, the story starts with Jesus feeding a multitude of people, uh, just takes a, a limited amount of food, two small fish, five small loaves of bread and he multiplies it and thousands of people eat until their bellies are full and their hearts content and they have leftovers to go around and it's a miracle everybody sees it everybody's happy until the next day the crowd wakes up and they're hungry again and so they go looking for jesus and this is all review we've we've been over this in the last few weeks they find jesus and he kind of scolds them He exposes the fact that, hey, you all are not looking for me because you want a relationship with a God who you saw do something miraculous. You're looking for me because you want something from me. You want more fish. And then he basically tells them, look, you are trying to fill your physical needs, and he exposes the reality that there's things in life that are more important than just our physical needs, and that's our spiritual hunger. And he went on to say something really radical. He calls himself the bread of life. He he uses this analogy that I am the bread of life sent down from the Father, and I give life to the world. And that sounds really crazy. And then last week we watched Jesus kind of take crazy to a whole nother level because he said something completely abrasive to the crowd. He said that I am the bread of life, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the crowd was like, ew, what does that even mean to eat your flesh and drink your blood? And they, they didn't get it. And, and we learned last week that I believe that Jesus is using metaphor. I believe he's speaking symbolically when he's basically saying that you need to be so united with me that it's my life that flows through you. So to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ is to accept him into your life, to believe his message and to let his life live through you and me, but to be that united with Christ. Well, we're going to pick up the story today in John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. And, and church, there's some stuff I want you guys to see here. It's powerful. Verse 60 says this, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can, what's the word? Who can accept it? Let's pause right here, because I just got to point something out to you. I want you to notice what they did not say. They did not say that this message is hard to understand. It wasn't a matter that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. The issue was they were having a problem accepting what Jesus was saying. See, anybody who tries to put Jesus in this category of, oh, he was a good person, he was a good teacher, he was a good historical figure and leader, and there's some stuff we can learn from Jesus, you're clearly not listening to Jesus, because Jesus does not put himself in that category. That's why we're going through the book of John, all throughout the book of John and many other places in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. He clearly claims to be the son of the most high God, the creator of the universe, sent to this earth. 
to take my place and your place on the cross and to bring eternal life to a sinful mankind. They understood his message. They were having a hard time accepting it. And I want to just bring it right to the world we live in today, right now, front and center. I believe I'm speaking to people today that your problem is not an intellectual one where you don't understand the claims of Christ. The problem is you don't accept the claims of Christ. It's not that you have a hard time connecting the dots of the evidence that God has given us that would point us to the reality that there really is something supernatural about this person of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of evidence to support the claims that he made. That The problem isn't there. The problem is that you know full well if you accept that message, Jesus is going to interfere with your life. He demands loyalty. He demands obedience. He demands submission. He claims a spot of authority. And I believe there's plenty of people today that would agree with that crowd and say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And we don't accept it. And then we throw up intellectual smoke screens as to why we can't believe in Jesus Christ. But it's not a matter of not understanding. It's a matter of not accepting. Well, look at the next verse. Verse 61 says, Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Real quick, I think all Jesus is saying here is this. He's basically pointing ahead to the fact that he would not only die on a cross and be buried, but he would rise again. So he's pointing to not only the resurrection, but the fact that a few days after that, 50 days later, he would ascend into heaven, and there would be a whole bunch of people watch him go. There he goes. So Jesus is kind of saying this, like, okay, does this offend you, what I'm saying? Okay, you understand my message. You're not accepting it. But maybe, maybe you either can't or won't believe because the signs and wonders I've done up to this point aren't enough for you. But guess what? The day's coming. You're going to see me ascend back to where I was. Maybe then you'll believe. Next verse. This is powerful. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Again, let me just pause to point this out. Um, Spiritual matters is what matters. Your physical life at the end of the day is not going to last. The physical things of this world will not count. It's what's done for eternity. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And then look what he says. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. To accept the message of Jesus is to accept the Spirit of God and to accept the gift of life. And the reverse is also true. To reject the message of Jesus is to reject the Spirit of God and to reject the gift of eternal life. He goes on to say, Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. By the way, that just points to the fact that there's a sovereign God who knows the beginning from the end. He knows who's going to receive him and who's not going to receive him. And I can't fully explain where this balance is of a sovereign God who knows from the beginning everything that's going to happen versus the free will of man that he's given us to choose him. I I can't explain how those work. I just know in Scripture we see both. And Jesus is basically saying, I I know who's going to accept me and who's not. 
He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And last week we talked about that, that this is why it's important to pray for people who don't know Christ, because the Father is working behind the scenes through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicting our hearts. Long before we ever make a decision to choose Christ and accept him, God's been working in our hearts in ways we we don't even see and understand. But then we're going to pause on this next verse, John 6, 66. This is a powerful and bothersome verse to me. It says this, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. By the way, don't confuse the word disciples with the, the 12, Jesus' 12 disciples. We're gonna, he's going to address them in just a minute. When it says that his disciples, many of his disciples turn back, what's another name for disciple? Follower. I heard someone say it. So what it's saying is, let's use that word follower instead. From this time, many of his followers turned back and no longer followed him. By the way, side note, and I don't know if this is like, if this is just my observation or if there's actually like powerful you know, symbolism in this. But I do know this. We're taught that in Scripture, number six, the number six is the number of man. It's the number of imperfection. And in time stuff, in Revelation, it talks about in the end days when the mark of the beast is upon the people, the, the mark of the beast will be the number six, six, Six. I find it interesting that in John chapter 6, verse 66, we find this, the ultimate condition of sinful mankind. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Maybe that's just an interesting coincidence. I don't know. But I do know that that is at the heart of humanity. That's our biggest problem. That we hear the message of Jesus and we reject it and we turn away and we stop following him or we refuse to follow him. Here's something I just got to say. It's heavy on my heart and, um, and I want to share this. I've been asked before, John, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor other than the one hour you work on Sunday? I mean, we know that's pretty stressful, right? But uh, other than that, like what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? And, and I can tell you seriously, here's my answer to that. I've grown up in the church. I've grown up in a pastor's home. I've been in and around the pastoral ministry pretty much my entire life. And I have never gotten used to this, and I will never get used to it. And it is the number one thing that is the heaviest on the heart of any pastor. Is to see people come and give their life to Christ and follow for a season and then to stop following, to turn away from, not only from Christ, but to turn away from the church of Jesus Christ. It's heartbreaking. It's discouraging. It's the condition of man to stop following. I know many, many, many people in my life that I could point to that are non-following followers of Jesus. They would give lip service to Jesus, maybe, not all of them even, but some would still give lip service. And, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I don't need his church. Can I just say, if you're following Christ, he's going to lead you into his body. If you're following Jesus Christ, he is not going to lead you to be disconnected from his church. 
And it's one of the greatest lies in the Christian world that says, I believe in God, me and God are good, me and Jesus are good, I just hate his bride. I want nothing to do with his body. I don't need, quote, organized religion. It's a lot easier to act and look like a Christian when you don't have to put up with sinful people in church. But when Christ brings us together as his body and we have to learn how to love one another and submit to one another and encourage one another, and it's messy. And so just know this. I'm kind of preaching on a side rant here, but I believe one of the first steps away from following Jesus is a step away from his church. I have never seen it go well when someone disconnects from the body of Christ. I've never seen their walk with Jesus improve. Never. Never. What I see is stuff starts to go south in their life real quick. Why? Because they cut themselves off from the life blood of the church of Jesus Christ. You need the church and the church needs you. And yet it's one of the things that breaks my heart the most is to see followers who stop following. But this is where it gets really trippy in this passage of scripture because I would expect Jesus to run after this group of people. I would expect Jesus, the great shepherd, to run after the non-following followers and go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 come back, come back. Did that offend you what I said? I won't say that anymore. You want some more fish and bread? I'll whip some up, okay? I'll do it. What, what do you want? You don't like the music? The volume's too loud? The volume's too soft? What do I got to change? I'll do whatever I got to do to appease you because I want a big crowd. I would have done that. I like a big crowd. It's kind of weird. It's almost like Jesus was not interested in the size of the crowd. He was interested in the level of the commitment of their heart. And he let them go. He let them walk away. He didn't chase them. Weird. And if you think, John, I don't know if you're really interpreting that right. I'm going to show you in just a minute where Jesus doubles down on this. But before I get to the next verse, let me just make this one more observation. It's kind of like with the crowd. Let's just, what is it about non-following followers? People that come to Christ for a moment and then go, you know what? I'm going back to where I was. I'm not following anymore. It's kind of like this. It's like the crowd was okay following Jesus as long as they were getting something from him. But the moment the conversation turns to Jesus wanting something from them or them suffering for Christ or giving something to Christ, all of a sudden they go, I, I quit, I'm out, not doing it anymore. I was following Christ because I was getting something out of it. And now you're saying he wants something from me? <laughs> I'm out. And he doesn't chase the crowd. He doesn't beg them to come back. As a matter of fact, this just trips me out. Verse 67, look, he's going to turn to the 12, to his disciples, his inner circle, his closest friends and followers. Verse 67, look what Jesus says. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. It's like this, a whole crowd of people's turning. They're grumbling, they're mumbling, they're mad at what Jesus is saying. They're walking away. And instead of chasing them down and saying, hey, come back, come back, come back, Jesus turns to his 12. He's like, who wants to go with them? You want to go? There's the door. You want to leave? Go. Jesus can be so harsh. Check it out. I don't think that Jesus is actually trying to convince his followers to leave him. I don't think he's hoping that his 12 disciples will turn and stop following. I think this question is about a gut check moment for those disciples. 
where he's like, look, a bunch of people are leaving me. You want to go too? Or are you with me? Are you in or are you out? Now would be the time to go when a bunch of people are walking out the door. Are you with me or are you not with me? And I love Peter's response. I like Peter in the Bible. Um, I relate to him because so often Peter, I could point to so many passages where Peter says dumb stuff. He runs off at the mouth and speaks before he should have. He should have listened. And I just relate to Peter because sometimes I do that. There were other times where Peter spoke and he spoke well. And I admire that about Peter too. And here he's going to give a great answer. Jesus has given him an out. It's like, you want to go? There's the door. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would I go? Can I just be honest with you, church? Have you ever thought about just walking away from it all? I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about your faith. Have you ever looked at the door as other people are walking out and just thought, I could join them? I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm willing to keep paying the price of following Jesus anymore. This is hard. Would it rock your world to know that sometimes pastors think that way too? Like, I have some doubts. I have some struggles and crisis of my faith from time to time. There's times that it's easy to believe, or at least to look at that temptation, like, I've given enough to this cause. I'm done. I'm out. But I love Peter's response. He's like, Jesus, where else would I go? I mean, really, where else would I go? Because... Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and I've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I got a question for you, church. Put yourself in Peter's sandals for just a moment. Do you think Peter always understood what Jesus was talking about? I don't. I'll bet you that the 12 were just as confused and a little bit repulsed as the rest of that crowd when they heard their leader say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. I bet Peter was like, this is weird. Jesus, shh. No one understands what you're saying. That sounds creepy. Do you think Peter always understood what Jesus was up to? We know they didn't. We know half the time the disciples were just as confused as the rest of the crowd. They didn't understand his parables half the time, and he'd have to pull them aside what I was really trying to say there, guys. They didn't know. Do you ever struggle to understand what God is doing in your life? Lord, I don't even understand what you're doing. I can't see you. I love a line that we sang in one of those new songs, and I don't remember, I, I won't get the line right, but it's basically this idea that sometimes what I'm seeing in my own two eyes is hard to believe that there's a God behind it. It's not making sense. So, so I guess, why, why am I parking on this? Because I guess I just want to put it out there for anyone that's ever struggled in their faith, like, it, that's normal. I think it's normal and okay for human beings to struggle in our faith. And, and I think when Jesus asks us the question, do you still want to follow me? Are you still with me? 
I think the right response is the response of Peter that says, Lord, I don't know where else I'd go. I don't always understand what you're doing. I don't get everything that's happening in my life right now. I've got some real questions. I've got some real doubts. But Jesus, where else would I go? There's nothing else that can satisfy and fulfill. There's nothing else that can bring the gift of eternal life. It's you and you alone. But can I just connect some more dots for you? Here's what breaks my heart. Is that I I know there are people who have found an answer to that question. Where else should I go? To whom else should I go? They've found an answer to that question. It's not a good answer, but they've believed it for the moment. And they've come to conclude that, you know what? Where else should I go? I should go back to my addiction. That's where I'll go. I'll go back to my life outside of Christ. I'll go back to the bondage I was living in before Jesus set me free. I'll go back to my old lifestyle that Jesus washed and cleansed and purified me from and set me free from. I'll go back there. That's to whom else I should go. It's not a good answer, but they found an answer. But for me, in my life, I'm where Peter's at. In those moments of struggling, in those moments of I don't understand this Jesus, I'm still with Peter saying, Jesus, where else would I go? Because ultimately, I still trust you. See, and and here's the difference. Peter wasn't just following some, quote, organized religion. When I hear Christians talk that way that I don't need organized religion, what what I really hear is someone saying, I don't really have a relationship with the Savior. Because Jesus didn't come to offer us organized religion. He came to offer us a relationship and a friendship. And see, Peter had that with Jesus. He had a real relationship. He knew him, and he trusted him. He didn't always understand. He didn't always get it, but he trusted him. And so in these hard moments, Peter's like, Jesus, I don't, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. Now, watch this. A couple more verses here in the chapter. Verse 70, then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Again, it's kind of that idea that we don't really choose Jesus. He chooses us first. Yet, watch this, church. We're we're getting a little inside information into something that's coming, a plot twist. Yet one of you is a devil. If Jesus is calling you a devil, that's probably not a good day. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve was later to betray him. So we're, we're not going to go deep into Judas's story yet, but this is kind of a little foreshadowing that, uh-oh, one of these 12 in the inner circle is going to really betray Jesus. And by the way, this is just an interesting thought. I, I, this boggles my mind when I study the life of Christ. He knew Judas was in his 12, and he knew Judas was going to betray him, and you know what? He still loved him. Man, I would have outed Judas right now. We would have had a beat down on Judas so fast. Like, really? Really? You're going to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver? Get out now. But Jesus loved him. He included him in the number. He taught him. He led him, knowing full well that Judas was going to stab him in the back, sell him, betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And we'll get to that later in the story as Christ is approaching the cross. But here's what I want you to see, church. Here's how we're going to summarize this. In this little passage of Scripture we've been in today, really, we see three responses to Christ. Three. And we're going to find out there's really only two. 
But here they are. If you want to write them down on your handouts, the three responses to Christ. Number one, we see people reject him and walk away. People still respond to Jesus that way. Right now, people have clicked off of Facebook. They're like, I'm out. He's talking about Jesus. I'm done. My friend invited me to watch on the iCampus, but I didn't know there was a church that talked about Jesus. I'm out. Today, people still respond to Christ by rejecting him and walking away. Number two, we see another response in this story is people accept him. At least for the moment, the 12 are like, Jesus, we're with you. We accept you. Where else would we go? We're not, we're not leaving. And then, as Jesus sets up the Judas story, we see there's kind of a third response. It's not a good response, but it's nonetheless one that some people take, and I would, I would say it's this. We pretend to follow him. There's pretenders. It's very likely in a church our size, we've got pretenders here this morning, watching online. They're pretenders, putting on a show. That's what Judas was doing. He wasn't in it. He was not a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a momentary follower of Christ, but he was just waiting for the opportune time to fall away. There's, and I've seen it, man. I've seen it so many times. People that we thought they were with us, but like John writes later in one of his smaller books, they went out from us because they were not of us. Like they were pretending. And so just notice that a, a pretender, a Judas, is still really in the first option, and that's ultimately they still reject Christ and they walk away. So, church, here's, here's my message to you. Here's the question. Well, here's the summary, and then the question. The summary is, when it comes to Jesus Christ, there really is no middle ground. There's not a lot of different options for how to respond to Christ. There's really two. To reject him or to accept him. That's it. That's the choice. And I would contend, the Bible would, would have us understand very clearly that eternity hangs in the balance on how you answer that question. There is no middle ground with Christ. He does not leave this big wide open space in the middle for you to say, I'm, I'm neutral. Nope, that's not an option. You don't get to be neutral. You're either following me or you're walking away from me. That's it. My question to you, church, is this. Which one is it? Are you accepting Christ and following him or are you rejecting him and walking in the opposite direction? Or maybe to that third one, am I speaking to someone who in this holy moment, the Spirit of God would convict your heart and go, you're a pretender, you're a poser. You put on a show on Sundays and it's as plastic as your credit card. It's fake. There's no depth there. There's no time in God's word. There's no growth into your walk with him. The fruit of the spirit is not really evident in your life, but you put on a show. Church, do you know anybody in your life that you would say, John, I know people like that too that were with us for a while and they've walked away. Now, I don't know. I still think from time to time maybe it's worth throwing out a lifeline and coming alongside them and going, you ought to listen to Pastor John's message from this past week and maybe get your butt back to church. Jesus didn't chase them down, but sometimes I still like to chase people a little bit. Maybe there's some people that God would have us reach out to and say, you know what? 
Don't go that way. Follow. Get back where you need to be. Follow Christ. One last question, and then I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and that's simply this. Through the power of preaching, the mystery of preaching that I don't even really understand, is the Spirit of God right now saying something to your heart, calling you to a step of obedience, calling you to a point of conviction, offering some encouragement and comfort into your life? I don't know. It amazes me how so many times when I'm preaching, someone will tell me afterwards, man, God really spoke to me about this or that, and I didn't even talk about it. So when that happens, that's not John. That's the power of God working through the limitations of preaching to touch your heart and to speak to you and to tap you on the shoulder. So my question is, what is God saying to your life, to your heart? What is the step of obedience he's calling you to take? If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, I'm challenging you. You've got a decision to make. We would love to help you step across that line of faith. We would love to help you know what it looks like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to know him, and to begin following him. We'd love to provide a church family that we are not perfect, we are so far from it, but if you stick with us, we'll help you walk. We'll help you learn to run. We'll, we'll help pick you up when you stumble and fall. That's what the body of Christ is about, and we'll grow together. But man, if, if you need to know more about what that looks like to have a relationship with Christ, I would encourage you, please don't leave here today. Please don't log off of the online outreach of this church without talking to someone about how you can have that relationship with Christ. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. And I thank you for this powerful passage of Scripture where we see people just come face to face with really the ultimate decision. Will I follow Jesus or will I not? And the sad reality is so many people throughout human history, when confronted with that choice, choose to reject you. I pray right now, God, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who's been there, that has been their posture towards you, I pray that today would be their day of submission and their day of salvation. I pray that there would be many, many in the sound of my voice who would make that decision to follow you and to accept you. Lord, it saddens me as I just look over almost 40 years of being in the Christian faith, the long, long, long list that I could point to of people who at one time I watched them. They followed you. There was a season that looked like they were on fire. They were growing. They were serving. They were plugged in. For whatever reason, they are exactly that John 6, 66. They're followers who are no longer following. God, I pray you'd bring some of them back into the fold. But I can't touch those hearts. And it amazes me that you don't chase them down sometimes, Lord. So I just give that to you. It's a burden that will never be taken, I, I think, from ministry. It's just a reality. Some choose to accept you and some reject you and some pretend. Lord, do whatever you want with this message. There are people in this church who need to respond to this message and I pray your spirit would not give them any peace until they submit to you and obey you in their life. We love you, Jesus. I pray you just continue to build your church and just bless us as we continue to walk through the book of John as a church family and hear what you have to say each and every week to our hearts. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for how you use this message 
in this church, Jesus. It's yours to do with as you please. It's in your precious and holy name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.